you would stand with me, let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy, and we're going to read chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 8, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 8, when you got it, say so, all right, it says, therefore I exhort first of all. That supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And verse 8 says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the very privilege that we have to come together to worship your great, great name. God, thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your word. And we ask you this morning that you would speak to us, that you would open our ears, that we would hear from you clearly, that we would respond to you in faith, that we would obey you, Lord God, not just hearing what you're saying, but living it out. I pray that this message this morning, Lord God, would draw our hearts nearer to you and that it would help us to live in this year more clearly for your glory and for your honor. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, uh, just raise your hands and the ushers will get you one. I want to make sure that you have an outline, that you are able to uh, follow along in the introduction of the sermon. I want to make sure that you're able to take notes as well. Um, and there's some questions in here that are introspective questions for you. Uh, what do you believe God has spoken to you this morning? Uh, also, um, how are you going to live it out? What are you going to do about what God says? I believe firmly that it is not enough for you just to hear what God is saying, but you have to live what God is communicating. So we have to do what God says. And then lastly, as I always try to encourage you, uh, these outlines should also be a tool that you can not only use to refresh your memory of what you heard this morning, but also we are called to make disciples. And the way that we help someone grow in their faith is by sharing God's word with them. And so what you can simply do is make it a point to sit down with someone on a weekly basis and say, hey, this is what I'm learning on Sundays and this is what I'd like to share with you. And it'll do two things. Number one, it will help you grow because it's going to force you to dig a little bit deeper into the scriptures. It's going to help you to live the truth out. And secondly, it's also going to empower them to know more about Jesus and live for his glory. And so I hope you'll use those as a tool. If you look at your outline there, the most important goal of 2019 and every year for that matter uh, should be to seek God first. What our video was talking about this morning. There is no greater accomplishment that can be had than to know God better because you have sought him before every decision, sought him before every other person, and there's a typo in there, and sought his will before every other desire. Let me say that again. There is no greater accomplishment that can be had than to know God better because you have sought him before every decision, sought him before every other person, and sought his will before every other desire. 
See, I don't know about you. I know this much. I want to know God more. I want to know him in a more intimate way. And when I seek him before I seek anything else, when before I seek anyone else, before I pursue any other thing, when I do that, I get to know him better. I get to know his ways better. And so this year for 2019, I don't know about you, but I'm a kind of guy that I kind of end the year every year praying about what my goals are going to be for the next year. And, and you know, a lot of times, I mean, I've come into some years and I have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten goals or whatever. But this year I have one goal, one goal, one goal totally. And it is to live from the book of John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 like I have never before. And John chapter 15 verse 1 through 11, it speaks of Jesus is speaking there and he's talking to his disciples and he's telling them that he is the vine, that we are the branches, that the father is the vine dresser and that if we abide in him, that we will bear fruit. But he said, that if we do not abide in him, that we will not bear fruit, that we can do nothing, right, without him and apart from him. And it commands us and calls us to obey his word. It calls us to walk in his love, to abide in his love. And so as I pray that, right, when I'm thinking about the goals that I set for myself, then I obviously want to set goals for us as a church as well. And my hope is that you will as well abide in the vine, that you will abide in Christ in this year as you have never before. The whole thing that we're starting off this year today, for those of you that don't know, is the first day of our 21 days of fasting and prayer. And I'm so grateful because so many of you have already signed up for a specific day of the week. For those of you that are guests with us today, you're more than welcome to join us. For those of you that may have missed the announcement, what we're doing is for the next 21 days, we're going to be praying. We're going to be seeking God together, unifying spiritually, asking God to move, asking God to do things. And what we're asking everybody to do is to pick one day of the week that you're going to fast for the next three weeks, which would be the 21 days, and that you'll come before God and that you'll pray and that you'll seek him, that you'll separate time to pursue his heart. And so I encourage you to be part of that. The whole purpose behind that is to get us focused, to get us in the place where, you know what, we're turning off the TV a little bit more. We're opening up our Bibles a little bit more. We're spending a little bit more time worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're spending time in prayer, seeking his face. We started the Bible reading challenge in the beginning of the year, and I'm so encouraged like over 50 of you and this is including kids and stuff like that have signed up have been participating I hope you've been faithful to it it's been amazing I've been I mean I'm, I'm learning stuff from you guys and, and ladies who are commenting and communicating what you're hearing and what you're sensing I mean it's been super encouraging for me and so just to see you being in God's word being renewed in God's word but that's what it means right to abide in Christ and as a result of that this is my this is my goal for core faith right because I want to let you know that I have some goals for us, right? And the one thing that I want to see is I want to see us as a result of us abiding in Christ. Here's what I understand. What I understand that the Bible talks about bearing fruit. And so if we're talking about bearing fruit, that means that we are going to produce right? And so Jesus is the one that produces through us. But my prayer and my hope is that we will double by the end of this year, meaning that every one of us will produce fruit as disciple makers, right? That you're not just going to sit there and just go throughout 2019 and we're not going to see anybody coming to Jesus as a result of your life. We're not going to see anyone growing in their faith as a result of your life. That you're just going to be another person walking in and out of your workplace, living in your neighborhood, going to your school, being a around the places where you go and where you frequent and that nobody's life is impacted. Listen, it's, it's all good to live righteously, but we've got to get intentional and we've got to ask God to use us to make greater impact. That's just a reality. 
And so the truth is, that's my goal. That's my prayer is that we would all produce fruit within this year. And so as we're thinking today, here's what I understand. The only way that that is going to happen is by seeking God first. That's what I want to talk about today. Seeking God first. And so here's a thought that I have. You don't want you to think about this. Seeking God first means keeping him before everything else. Seeking God first means keeping him before everything else. If I'm going to seek him first, that means that I'm going to keep him before everything else. I'm going to make sure that he is before everything else, before every other person, before every other feeling, before every decision I make. I'm going to keep him first, and I'm going to seek him first. That's that's what we want to do in this year. And so the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy here in this book of Timothy. This book of Timothy, just to give you a little bit of background, the book of Timothy, or Timothy, there's two books of Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Timothy, and then there is a book of Titus. And so those three books are known as the pastoral epistles. And so Paul writes these to two men, Timothy being one of them, the other one is Titus. And the reason he writes them is because he is instructing them as to what the church is supposed to be like what the church is supposed to be about. So what I would encourage you to do is don't just look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 that we're talking about today, but on your own time, sit down, read through 1 Timothy, read through 2 Timothy, read through the book of Titus, and learn what the church should look like. And pray that your life would reflect that and that we as a church would reflect that. And you know what? If you're in here and you're not a believer, then you know what you can do? You can go ahead and you can look at what God expects of the church. And the one thing that you will find is this, is that God expects the church to be a people who are praying. And so whether you're a Christian and a believer and you're walking with Jesus or not, right, you may be one that is not walking with Jesus, prayer is something that a lot of people participate in. Whether they're believers or not, people talk about speaking to a deity. They talk about talking to God, right? They talk about, you know, there there's so many different traditions surrounding prayer. But what I want you to realize is that there is one, and we have this word, you saw this word in here in verse 5, is a word called mediator, There is a mediator between us and God, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that makes our prayers effective. Understand that. He is the one that makes us able to come to God because of the blood that was shed for him. So if we are not praying according to what the Bible says, we have to ask the question, are we really praying? And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, in order to seek God first, we must know how he ought to be sought. In order to seek God first, we must know how he is to be sought. Verses 1 through 8, verses 1 and 8, I want to look at those really quickly because the first thing we see here is that the Apostle Paul in in, in verse 2, I mean in, in verse 1, he says this, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. In verse 8, it says this, I desire therefore that the men, say men, That the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, I think that it's important for us to note a few things here. The battle and the reason or one of the things that Paul is writing is not just to inform them on how the church is supposed to look, but there were false teachers who were trying to teach things that were not true, that were deceiving the believers. And so Paul is confronting that. 
And what Paul says as a result in the midst of this battle is he says we need to focus in on prayer. And he prioritizes seeking God through supplication, through prayer, through intercession, with thanksgiving, right? We're going to unpack that in a moment. And he also calls, and the reason why I had you say the word man is because he calls the men of the church to the task specifically with their hands lifted without anger and without wrath. So it's important for us to realize that it's not just because a lot of times for us as guys sometimes we want to get things done. We want, we want to get things done and we don't think that prayer is a way to get things done because sometimes we see prayer as a waste of time. Especially as men, right? I mean, you think about this, right? I mean, let's just be realistic. Like sometimes your wife comes to you with a problem. Come on now. And she's expressing to you her frustration and she's expressing to you her emotion. And you're sitting there calculating how can we fix this. And then you give her a solution and she didn't want to hear a solution. She just wanted you to hear her. Hello, somebody. Right? Like, that's the reality, right? Like, we're fixers, typically. And so we want to do stuff. So we, you know, we look at issues like, okay, we have a financial issue, so we're trying to figure out how do we fix this financial issue. A lot of times, the first thing that comes to our mind is, man, and I'm just being real about this, it's not let's pray about this, hello, right? It's, <laughs> so I'm not going to repeat that, but, um, you know, I will repeat it. You know, sometimes, like, stop shopping, right? <laughs> Let's work on the budget, you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe I need to get a second job. Like, you know, we, we start thinking about how can I fix this? What can I do in order to make something? And so a lot of times we don't come to the place of prayer as being something. But can I tell you something? We as men need to recognize there's a reason why God calls us. Specifically, it's a call out. You know, it's funny because I was walking down the hallway earlier, and um, there were a few people, I won't point them out right now but there was a few people that were arrived at church late you know what I'm saying and um and, and as I walked by I you know I was just joking you know it's the new year so I figured I'd crack a little joke and I'm like y'all coming to church late you know y'all are messed up whatever the case is and so you know the reality is it was a little joking call out but there's a serious call out like Paul makes a specific call out to the men he says he wants men praying everywhere and so let's unpack this what does he mean here so us seeking God first that's what we're talking about us seeking God first must be marked by these four things one of them is supplication prayer intercession and thanksgiving so supplication what is that supplication it is talking about personal entreaties of God personal prayers to God when Jesus told his disciples to pray he told them what he said for them to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread right you know what that was that's talking about supplication give us this day our daily bread praying to God about things about issues men should be praying women obviously I don't want you to know ladies the reason why God calls out the men is because a lot of times we, um, women will, will be more sensitive to that reality right and they'll go into prayer but for us we need to make sure that we're praying that we're supplicating before for God. And then prayer. What is prayer? What is, what, what is prayer? Is, is, is this, is what, what's the specific here? The specific thing he's talking about here when he's talking about prayer, he's talking about reverence. He's talking about understanding the holiness of the moment of prayer, how sacred prayer is. And it's funny because I remember this story as I was thinking about this point. A few years back, I was praying. I was at my mother-in-law's house, and we were getting ready to pray for a meal. And, you know, for me, you know, being around people that, you know, we're comfortable with, a lot of times, uh, you know, we, we will. I don't know about you, but sometimes I would joke while I was praying. You know, you say something, you know, something like, Lord, you know, bless this person right next to me or whatever the case is. And, you know, we're joking. The people around us get that, and they laugh. 
So in this moment, I was with the family, and so I'm getting ready to, I mean, mind you, I'm Pastor Jason, and I'm holy, and I'm the, you know, man of God, and I, and I get ready to pray, and as I pray, I don't remember what I said, but I said something that was a joke. It wasn't serious, and I remember that my wife's family that was there, not one of them made a noise. It was like, you know, that awkward silence? And it was at that moment that I recognized, I was like, wait a second. We're praying right now. I'm, I'm addressing the God of creation here. I'm talking to the one who is seated on a throne who, uh, who people saw. Like when you look in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah has a glimpse of this God, and he says, woe is me, I am undone. He is saying, I'm going to die because I've seen the Lord, and I have the audacity to make a joke while I'm addressing the king. See, there has to be a reverence in prayer. There, now, that doesn't mean that there can't be realness. See, it's, 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 not, it's not about you can't be real with God. Like when you're angry, read the Psalms. Just read through the Psalms. You'll see that David was very real with God. And in moments, you could read certain Psalms and read them out of context and be like, yo, this guy's disrespecting God. He's calling God out. And you know what it was? He had a relationship with God. And he's communicating with God. And so there was a realness that has to happen there. And so the first thing that we see is that we have supplication. That is about personal entreaties of God. And then we have these prayer. The prayer is the reverential communication with God. Communicating with God in a reverential way. And then we have intercession. And so intercession, it, this, this is not so much about what we think about when we think of intercession. And, and it's funny because when I was studying this, I started to understand understand myself where when we think of intercession we think of praying on behalf of someone else which this is true because we intercede and we pray like that but what this is about this is about confidence and about familiar talk with God and so it's not just about us praying for others it's about a confidence that we have in who God is and that we are familiar with God that we know who God is and we're communicating with him and then obviously Thanksgiving is self-explanatory is it not all prayer should, should be encapsulated with it should begin with and it should end with Thanksgiving because the beautiful thing that we find in the Psalms is that even when David is complaining to God he usually ends up in Thanksgiving to God it usually ends up in recognition that, you know what, God, I don't know where you are. I don't know why you're letting me go through this, but I give you thanks because you're holy. I give you thanks because you're worthy. I give you thanks because you're mighty. I give you thanks. I worship you because of who you are. And so we have this thanksgiving. And so our prayers should be marked by that supplication through prayer. Our seeking of God should be marked by those, the intercession, the confidence in who God is. Our prayers should be marked by thanksgiving. And then we also have the posture that he specifically says to men with hands lifted up without anger, without wrath, without the dis disputes that are there. And so what is he saying here? Well, first of all, I want us to notice that there is a literal communication about lifted hands. It is not a figurative thing, right? And so a lot of times for some of us, right, like we don't, we don't move from here. Right? Like we're like, like, we're like here. We're, we're like, so, like we like to sit in the row with a seat in front of us because we can hold on. You know, like, like something's going to happen. Right? Like straight, you know, I, I mean, that, that, that's, that's some of us. That's how we are. Right? And then others of us, like we'll lift our hands. Like some of us get like right here. Like, that, like we'll be like here. You know, we, we come here like, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Like we're holding up a sign or something. You know, I, we'll, we'll worship for, I don't know. But anyway. Um, and then others of us, you know, we get all in. You know, some of us do the one. -on I do all of that, all of the above. You know, so I, I don't have a chair in front of me, so I just kind of hold my hands like this. But nonetheless, 
Lifted hands, right? So what is this about? So in, in, in those, in, in that culture, you would lift your hands, right, for purpose, right? You would lift your hands to receive something. You would lift your hands to make an oath. You know, we lift our hand now presently. We're making certain oaths and things like that. And so there was that mindset that was there. But here's why the lifting of hands, the, the, the symbolism that's there is because hands represented your life. And when you lifted up your hands before God, you were saying, God, I'm clean. God, I'm coming to you with clean hands. I'm coming to you with a clean heart. I'm coming to you with a clean life. I'm coming to you in a way that I'm living. And so what do we understand? Holy hands can be lifted because of what? Because of our justification in Jesus. Holy living is not because of us. It's because of Christ. Are you here? The issue is this. It's when we get comfortable in God's presence and we get comfortable in our sin. Are you here? Because a lot of folks, that's how it is. We, we, we start to understand our justification. We start to understand, man, Jesus died for me. He's given me a right standing with him. And then we become comfortable in our sin. We become comfortable there. But here's what happens. In the presence of God, you and I should never be comfortable in our sin. It should always lead us to living holy lives. Not just accepting our justification and our righteousness before God, but living lives of holiness. And so it deals directly with our relationship with God. But living a life of holiness also deals with relationship with people. And so we should pray without anger. Hello, somebody. Some of y'all got issues with forgiveness. Some of your New Year's, some of your New Year's resolution needs to be, Lord, I'm going to forgive. Hello. Some of your New Year's resolution is I'm going to let it go. I'm going to get over that thing. I'm going I'm to release that person. I'm going to move on, right, because there's anger that is hindering your prayers. Are you here? There's disputing that's there, right? Our relationship with other people, the disputing that is there, it's rooted in the anger that we have, and then there's disputing. There's this separation. There's this division that's there. Some of you need to have some conversations. You've prayed about it long enough. It's time to talk about it. Hello. It's time to talk about it and bury it. It's time to deal with whatever it is, and that way you can move on. Why? Because you don't want prayer to be hindered. You want to be able to enter into God's presence the way he desires. When seeking God for God becomes our priority, we will seek him how he desires to be sought. Because what? Seeking God first means keeping him before everything else. Seeking God first means keeping him before everything else, even our own comforts, even our own preferences. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, seeking God first will challenge why we seek him. Seeking God first will challenge why we seek him. Verse 2 and 3, it says this. It says, now, now, now notice verse 1 ends to pray, to, to make prayer for all men. And then he specifies this. He says, for kings, hello somebody, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So what does he tell us to do here? It's important for us to note this. I want you to think about this. When you read the New Testament and you read the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed, I want you to notice that when the Apostle Paul prayed for the people, he never prayed, and, and, and I would encourage you to do this, and if I'm wrong, you can let me know, but in the prayers that I've read in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul pens in the book of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, in those places, Paul never prays for their circumstances to change. He always prays for them to know God better. That's what he prays for. And when he prays about his circumstance changing, it is for what? It is so he can get out of prison so he can go visit people and minister to them. 
so he can go and risk his life for the gospel. That's the only reason why he's asking to be released from where he is. That's the only reason why he's praying that. It's not so he can live a life of like luxury. That's not his point. His reason is what? It is because he wants to make sure that he is living the purpose and, and will of God. And so we have this understanding here that when Paul is telling us to pray, we need to be praying for the right thing. You know what's the issue with some of us? Some of us, we're praying about our circumstances to change. We don't want to know God more, and we don't want to change. Are you here? We don't want to know him more. We don't, we don't want to know God any better. We're not concerned about knowing him more. We don't want our minds enlightened. We don't want our hearts enlightened. We don't care about all that. We just want our circumstance to change and that everything is going to be okay. Wait a second. Is that a biblical prayer? I'm not telling you we don't pray for circumstances to change. That's not what I'm saying. But I would believe if I was to take an order of the way I should pray, it should be first, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you like Paul prayed. I want to know you in, in, in the fellowship of your suffering and the power. Listen to that. Think about that prayer for a moment. The apostle Paul prays that in the book of Philippians, that I would know you in the power of your resurrection, in the fellowship of your suffering. What kind of prayer is that? Hello. Like Paul, like, I, mean, I mean, like Paul is praying to suffer. No, he's not praying to suffer. He's praying to know God in his suffering. You don't have to pray for suffering. You have to pray to know God in your suffering. The apostle Paul was praying that. So it tells me the first thing that I should be praying is to know God. The second thing I should be praying is to become more like Jesus. And the third thing that I should be praying is, God, change my circumstances, if you will. But above all, let me know you and let me become more like you. That's what should be happening here. And so what we find is that in the midst of all of what was going on there, the fault, when false teaching is allowed, the reason why Paul is addressing false teaching is because when false teaching is allowed, hypocrit hypocritical living will be tolerated, and the result is the truth that saves is hindered. Are you here? See, when we listen to false teaching in our lives, it allows us to feel okay with hypocritical living. We're not living for Jesus, so you know what? It's okay for me to live how I want to live. It's okay for me to continue doing the things that dishonor God. And can I tell you something? It's the things that hinder the revelation of the gospel. So who does Paul tell us to pray for? Well, he says pray for kings. And mind you, in that moment in time, he was telling you to pray for somebody who made Donald Trump look like an angel. Are you here? Do your history. You may think that's impossible. Go figure out who Nero was. Go find out about that king that Paul is saying, pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for kings. Pray for all who are in authority. Pray for them. Why is he telling us to pray for them? The reason why this challenge is why we pray is because he's not just saying pray for their salvation. He's not just praying pray for their deliverance. He's saying pray for them so you can live a godly life, so you can be quiet, so you can be peaceable, so you can be an example, so you will not be a hindrance to the gospel. That's why he says pray this. That's why he says pray this way. He says pray for those who are in authority. Pray for all of those who are in authority. Whoever they are, you pray for them. Whether you like them, whether you love them, whether you hate them, it doesn't matter. Whether they rub you the right way, it doesn't matter. If they're in authority, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their deliverance. Pray for them to draw near to Jesus. Pray that you will live godly despite what they do. 
That is what we're supposed to be praying for. See, the issue is this, is that when we're not praying, the problem is that we begin to live outside of God's will. We start praying the way that we want to pray instead of praying according to the will of God. See, what is the answer to all of the hypocritical living and all of the, uh, all of the stuff that is hindering the gospel? The answer is a prayerful church seeking God for the good of the culture, for godly character displayed in us, and purely for the pleasure of God. Did you hear that? The answer to the hypocrisy, the answer to all of the hindrances to, to, to the gospel, the answer to those things is what? It is us being a prayerful people who are praying for godly character and who are praying that we can live for the glory of God. Seeking God first, like I said earlier, means keeping him before everything else. This includes teachings and teachers we like but are false. Are you here? Let me say that again. Seeking God first means keeping him before everything else. This includes teaching or teachers we like but are false. Listen, there's some people, they make you feel good, but they're false teachers. There's some people that make your heart jump, but they're false teachers. There's some people that affirm whatever you want to believe, whatever you want to think, but they are false teachers. You can't listen to them. You can't engage them. You can't endorse them. You cannot do that. You know why? Because they lead you astray. They lead you away from the true gospel. This also includes behaviors we're used to but are out of alignment with godliness and are hypocritical. Are you here? Keeping God first, seeking him first is not just about getting on your knees and praying at some point of the day. It's about us putting him first, keeping him first, keeping him at the forefront, and our behaviors have to bow to his character. Are you here? We can't just say, well, hey, that's just how I am. No, 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 no. That is how you are, but you need to change. Hello. Because Jesus is not going to change. And if we don't change, then what happens is we're a hindrance to the gospel. It also means living not for our pleasure, but living for the pleasure and the glory of God. What is our vision? Our vision is to please the Lord in everything that we do. That's the vision of this church is to please God in all that we do. And so what that means is that we are living our lives to keep God first as we're seeking him is to live our lives for his pleasure, for his glory, not for our own. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me, seeking God first will change our understanding of what God desires. Seeking God first will change our understanding of what God desires. Look at verses 4 through 7. So he tells us to pray, right? He says to pray. He says to pray for all men. He says to pray, why? So that way we can live a quiet and peaceable life, so we can live godly and we can live reverent. So that means that people will see us. He says in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And verse 4, he says this, who desires, now listen to this, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. I love what one um, writer said. He said, we pray for all because the Father desires the salvation of all and the Son paid the ransom for all. We pray for all because the Father desires the salvation of all and the Son paid the ransom for all. 
We have to be a people that are seeking God and understanding what his desires are. It is my firm, firm conviction that the heart of this exhortation of prayer is God's desire expressed and all men coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of this is about what? This is about salvation. This is about God's eternal plan of salvation being worked out. The Father's desire, the Father desires the salvation of all men. And so we recognize this. Jesus is, I mean, um, Paul is telling us that this is why we're praying. We don't want to be a hindrance to this. We don't want to be in the way of the gospel going forward. We don't want to be in the way of the ransom that was paid that people can't see what Jesus did because they're busy looking at us. That people can't recognize the price that was paid for them, the great love that God has toward them, the great mercy that was shown to them. Because, see, that's the thing, that when we understand the ransom, the price that was paid for us, when we understand that and we realize that the desire of the Father is for what? It's for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When we recognize that, man, we start to pray differently. We start to live differently. We start to act differently. Are you here? And so we recognize this. It cannot be overstated. All that we see being worked out in the scriptures is God's eternal plan of redemption of lost people. From the beginning of the scriptures, we find the beauty of the gospel all the way to the end. And we see what God does. He is holy. He is good. He is righteous. He creates man in his own image and his likeness. And I think Pastor Aldo was saying today, he was talking about us sinning. And I thought that was so awesome. He said, you know what? Even if Adam didn't sin, someone would have. Are you here? So folks would have came up on the, on, on the place, someone would have went by the tree and been like, yeah, I got to get some, right? Someone would have listened to the serpent at some point. It would, I mean, it was going to happen, right? And so God eternally planned for what? He eternally planned for our redemption. And then we see the fall of man. We see man falling into sin. And because of that, all of us are born into sin. And we are all separated from God because of our sin, because of our behavior, because of our mistreatment and our dishonor of God's word, his holy commands. Because of that, we're separated from him. And we can do nothing to reconcile ourselves to him. We can do nothing to fix our relationship with God. The only thing we can do is accept his sacrifice. The only thing we can do is recognize the ransom that was paid, is recognize who the mediator is, and that is Jesus Christ. And the beauty of it is, is that when we surrender to him, when we repent of our sin, when we turn away from our sin, when we change our mind about our sin, God delivers us. He brings us back into a relationship with him. He gives us a new name. I love that song that we sing, who the sun sets free is free indeed. He sets us free. He sets us free from our past. He sets us free from the power of sin. He sets us free from the condemnation that we were under. He sets us free from God's judgment that everyone is looking forward to if they're not bowed to him. He sets us free and brings us into a relationship with him. And no longer does he look at us based upon that, but he sees us as his sons and as his daughters. That's a beautiful thing. And we're secure in what Jesus has done because he paid the ransom for us. And so what does God do? God calls the apostle Paul. He calls him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Y'all know who Paul was, right? Paul was the most vehement um, person against the church. He hated the church and anything that had to do with Jesus. He hated them. He didn't want to. He, he was against them. He was persecuting the church. And you know what God does? God flips the switch on in his life, opens this guy's eyes and says, you know what? Not only am I going to make you love me, not only am I going to make you love my church, I'm going to make you love the people that every one of you Jews hates. Hello. 
I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you to people that you think are unclean. And what does the apostle Paul do? He gives his life to that specific thing. And so just as there is no one outside of the scope of our prayers, there is no one outside the scope of the gospel. The ones who we could care less about, God loves. The ones we don't give a second thought to and maybe not even a first thought, God is concerned for. The ones we may think are impossible cases or unsavable, God says, I desire their salvation and that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. Hear me. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who will believe. And I don't know where you are in this place today, but if you have not put your faith in Jesus, don't think we're talking or I'm talking about someone else. God is speaking to you. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, today is the opportunity for you to trust God. Today is the opportunity for you to say, God, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live my life for you, and I'm going to accept the sacrifice that you made for me. When we commit to seeking God first and keeping him before everything else, we will come to understand and agree with his desires. His desires are what? That all men would come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. And so here's my closing question for you. Will you commit to seeking God first by keeping him before everything else? In this year, will you commit to seeking God first by keeping him before everything else? See, here's the thing. If we decide that we will not seek God first, we will miss the mission and we will become a hindrance to the mission. If you say no to that question, if you say, nah, you know what? I'm just going to keep living my life as I have been. I'm going to just keep living the way that I've been. If, I'm not, if, you, if, you, if you say that, you're going you're, you're to miss the mission and what God wants to do through your life. And you're going to be a hindrance to it because your life is not going to reflect who Christ is. And so here's my challenge to you. My challenge is that you join. I talked about it earlier, this 21 days of fasting and prayer. You can still sign up for this. And I, and I encourage you to join this time of prayer, committing to one day throughout the time, uh, throughout every week that you're going to come to God in prayer. But not just that. I don't want this fasting and prayer just to be the one day that you pray. But that throughout these 21 days that you would really begin to set, set apart a time, make a habit of seeking God's face. I encourage you, for those of you that, that have not joined yet on the Bible reading plan, I really encourage you to do that because you are going to be getting into God's word. You're going to be being held accountable on a daily basis by posts that people are going to be posting, reminding you if you didn't set up your own reminders within the app itself so that way you stay in God's word, that you are in the word of God, right? So my challenge is that you join the time of prayer and fasting in the 21 days, that you go on ahead and that you join the Bible reading challenge and then that you make yourself accountable to at least one other person so here's what i'm saying commit to a time of fasting and prayer commit to being in god's word and then pick someone that you know that you love that is a believer that is going to hold you accountable to you seeking the lord to you really pursuing god and that they're going to ask you about when is your prayer time when is it that you're seeking the Lord? That they're going to talk to you about that. That they're really going to hold you to God. That they're going to talk to you about what you're reading in the scriptures. That you be honest with them. That if you fall short, that you let them know, man, I fell short. But that you don't just accept that as, as the norm, but that you rise up to the challenge. That you be humble. Hello now. You got to be humble, right? Be humble. You're not going to be accessible. You're not going to be honest. You're not going to be accountable if you're not humble. Be humble about it, and that way they can, they can minister to your life. And I want you to remember this. The same God who ordains the end, which is salvation of the lost, he also ordains the means. What are the means? The means are prayer, godliness, and preaching of the word.